The voice of reason. The voice of alarm. The voice of stats. The voice of scouts. The voice of Kool-Aid. The voice of dismay. The voice of Davo. Well, in the movie Forrest Gump, Tom Hanks always said, stupid is as stupid does. And in the game of baseball, I, Davo, have always said, 500 is as 500 does. Because that's what the Royals appear to be, a solid 500 team, which is, you know, it's mediocre, but it's not good enough in 2014. Welcome in to yet another edition of Clubhouse Conversation as we're going to discuss that in tonight's game and lots more. It's your dish for the first game of the second half, but more of the same. I mean, the Royals have been selling us on this rah-rah second half. We were great last year. These guys are all with second half teams, and, you know, we're six or seven games ahead of where we were, and, you know, this second half is going to be similar to last. We're right there where we need to be within striking distance. We'll talk a lot more about this, but let's look at some numbers here. The Royals lose 5-4 to four to the third-worst team in the American League. It's weird to say that about the Red Sox, but they do have the third-worst record in the American League. The Royals lose yet another one-run game to a poor team, another game that they very easily could have and should have won. And the Royals sit at 48-47. and 47. And that's really what they are. They are a 48-47 and 47 or a 500 team. I mean, you look at their even their uh, Pythagorean expectation for this year. It, it should be that. I mean, you need more proof? Look at their run differential. The Royals are now plus three this year. 387 to 384. So if they lose by three tomorrow, they will be dead even. And they'll also be at 500. Think about that for a second. If the Royals lose by three tomorrow, they will be dead even on run differential and right at 500. If that doesn't just reek of a 500 team, especially with the one-run losses that they have, they're now 10-19 and 19 in one-run games. I mean, that's just mediocre. 10-19 and 19 in one-run games. And the Royals are 95 games in now. That's 59% of the season. So by the end of this weekend, we're sitting at 60%. That means the season is three-fifths of the way over Sunday around 4 o'clock Kansas City time. And you look at it this way. If the Royals split the next two, which they probably will, since they've got John Lester, who has owned them throughout his career on Sunday, they'll be sitting at just one game above 500 60% of the way through the season. This is supposed to be the all-in season. You know, Dayton Moore said it takes anywhere from six to eight years to build, but when I say the seventh and eighth year, I'm saying World Series competing for that. I mean, the Royals are laughably far away from the World Series right now. Well, we're going to go over this here more, probably for the next 15 or 20 minutes. i got a lot to say tonight, but there's just so many problems. Let's talk about... The division's over, as we've said. The Royals still six and a half back, eight back in the loss column. Lost another chance tonight to gain a game. Detroit's gone. They've hidden. We've already conceded that here in Clubhouse Conversation. But let's look at the wild card, the second one, because the Angels pretty much have the first one sewed up. The Angels slash A's. Either way, one of those two teams is getting the first one. So now you've got five teams at the moment vying for one wild card. Five teams vying for one wild card. You've got the Royals. You've got the Toronto Blue Jays. The New York Yankees the Cleveland Indians, who are now tied with the Royals, and the Seattle Mariners. So the Royals are now in their all-in season, in their 2014 season, and this important season, hoping to make a one-game playoff, but have to defeat five teams to do it. I mean, they almost have a better chance of probably catching Detroit, to be honest with you. In theory, they don't, because you know the, the games back are closer. I understand that, but... I mean, you've got a five-horse race versus a two- or three-horse race in the AL Central. I mean, you've got more teams to, to, to deal with. And like we talked about before, you know, if the Royals go six and four on a stretch, guess what? One of those four other teams probably just went seven and three. That's the problem. You've got to play so good at such a high level, and the Royals just can't beat 
mediocre to poor teams consistently. They can't beat Detroit. They've got a lot of games coming up against the Oakland A's and the San Francisco Giants. And let's go through some some possibilities here through the last 67 games. There's only 67 games left. So this whole, it's early, the second half, they're going to do it. Well, the second half technically is already 10% over. And the season's 60% over, guys. I mean, this is a a damn big sample size. This is not a small sample size. This is what the Royals probably are. And their their argument's going to be, well, you would have said the same thing last year. You're damn right. I would have said that before the All-Star game last year. But I just I just don't see last year as something they can sustain or do again this year. It's just this team is not as good as last year. And we're going to tell you a number of reasons why. But let's say the Royals go 38 and 29 their last 67 games. Just hypothetically here, okay? 38 and 29, that's a 570 winning percentage. That's pretty good. Right? Is it not? 38 and 29 would be a damn good stretch. But that puts them exactly where they were last year. 86 and 76. So just to get to last year, they've got to play the rest of the way nine games over 500. To earn the second wild card, let's say it takes 91 wins this year. It was 92 last year. We'll just say 91 this year. The Royals would have to go 19 games over 500, guys. 43 and 24 to finish the season. The Royals would have to win 64% of their games, 641 winning percentage from here on out. Roughly two out of three games they play, They'd have to win just to get to 91 wins. It's just not going to happen. And, and it's, it's frustrating. You know what? I'm to the point now where I wasn't even that depressed about the game tonight because I've already, even the second half, I missed the games the last four games. But, I mean, from covering this team so closely and watching every game, literally I've missed probably a total of 15 innings this year and probably about the same each of the last 20 years. I just don't miss games. I mean, when you watch this team long enough, and I'm not trying to say I know any more than you do because I don't, but I'm just saying when you have no life and you watch this team and that's all you do, if you, I mean, I'm a Kool-Aid drinker. I'm a, I'm a positive guy. But if you sit back and just look at things in a grounded manner, there's no way in hell this team's a playoff team. They're just not that good, guys. They're not bad. It's not a bad baseball team. Anybody that says the Royals suck is full of it. They don't suck. They're a solid 500 team. They, you know, I, I think this team is probably a 79 to 84 win team. I don't see this team matching 86 wins. I don't see them going nine over the rest of the way with all these games against Detroit and Oakland and San Francisco. And they're going to lose two out of three to Boston, most likely. We'll talk more about that. I mean, wh- where do you see all these wins coming from? If they're going to make a wild card, they can only lose like 24 more times the rest of the year, guys. I mean, there's just no margin for error. I mean, it's really already gone. The margin for error is already gone. Look at 10 and 19 in one-run games. That's your margin for error. And the whole second half of the season that the Royals brass keeps tooting their horn about, I'll give them credit. They had a hell of a year last year. It was exciting. But it's also it's almost like there, there's so many parallels between 2003 and this year. It's like fool's gold. It, it, now, it's not the drastic 2003 to 2004. I might even say there's a little bit of 2004 on this team. It's not near that bad. I'm not that naive. But you kind of believe that 2003 was real, and you kind of went, in theory, all in in 2004, and you fell flat in your face and couldn't duplicate the, that year the next year. It's kind of like how many times do we see Kyle Davies turn it on and become like a Cy Young candidate for one month in the month of September. And that bought him another year, like multiple times. And same thing with Luke Hochaver and Mike Moustakis heating up in the second half of a year or Eric Hosmer's rookie year heating up in that second half of the year or last year. How many times have we seen this team base their decisions on the second half of the previous season? And when does it work? It doesn't. The Royals haven't made the playoffs in 29 years, and they ain't making it this year, guys. There's no Emilio Bonifacio for energy. And again, I'm I'm aware he didn't come over until right about this time last year. When was that? Was it a little maybe a week later last year? It doesn't matter. 
He's not coming over this year. There's not that player out there, nor are they going to make that move. So he's gone. There's no Bonifacio, and if you don't think he played a big role in the second half, you're mistaken. Irvin Santana's gone. Yeah, the Royals have gotten him and then some, or at least him from Vargas, and Duffy and Ventura have improved the rotation, but I'm just saying we'll see if these guys all sustain it. Santana's you know, sustained it the whole year. Well, it's yet to be seen if Vargas will or Duffy and Ventura. We don't know yet. We're just hoping. There's no Luke Hochaver dominant for give you another guy for your seventh and eighth innings. Granted, there's also no Chris Getz or Jeff Francoeur, I'm aware, but speaking of Frenchie, he wasn't here at this point last year, but has Nori Aoki been any better? No. Raul Abanez? God, no. And yeah, Omar Infante is an upgrade over Chris Getz, but not how Bonifacio played down the stretch last year. Now you look at last year, Billy Butler's much worse than last year. His quotes today about how if he were the Royals, I mean, granted, he's not going to say, no, I wouldn't pick it up. Well, maybe he should say that. Admit that you suck. Own it. He sucked this year. He would tell you the same thing if you got him in a non-one-on-one situation. His agent would tell you the same thing. Dayton Moore, Ned Yost, everyone with a brain would tell you the same thing. He has flat-out sucked. He's on base. His OPS starting to go up, but they're all punching Judy singles. We saw it again tonight through the hole. They're all ground balls through the hole. That doesn't do any good in the American League. He's got three home runs 60% of the way through the season. Billy, memo to you. The Royals ain't picking up your $12 million option, nor should they. Unless they've fallen on their head one too many times with their Mr. Potato Head, maybe. No. To say that is just naive. <laughs> that's just I mean, that's a little bit of just uh, my soapbox there for a second, but you know, in going on, Eric, I'm going to blame a lot of people. I'm not going to, I'm not trying to blame people, but I'm going to, I'm going to just mention what the problem is. Why they're a 500 team? There's not just one guy. Let's keep going here. We mentioned Billy Butler. Now Eric Hosmer is getting better. That's true, but if he hits 17 home runs this year, he'll be lucky. In his 17 home runs at first base in the American League, three plus years in, acceptable. I mean, he's already halfway through his years before he's a free agent. What have the Royals gotten out of him? Mike Moustakis has been so bad that the Royals really can't afford to go into the, with him into third base next year. Hunter Dozier probably a year and a half away. I think it's time to find a one-year solution next year at third base, and I don't think it's Moose. Yeah, platoon him in Valencia. If they play like they, if Valencia does what he's been doing and Moose plays like he has the last three weeks, maybe it'd be league average, maybe. But is that what we're expecting now after three years of Mike Moustakis? People blame Ned Yost tonight, but let's. Well, there's a few things tonight I want to talk about. Mike Moustakis twice tonight had runners at third base and one out and couldn't get the freaking run in. Twice. Runner at third and one out. And we've seen that over and over and over this year from Mike Moustakis. Just awful situational hitting. You need a fly ball to the outfield, medium depth or deeper. When the infield's back, something up the middle. Or God forbid, even a base hit in that situation. It's just not happening. So that's two runs tonight on Moose. I mean, so we're going through why it's not going to happen. He was a lot better last year in the second half. Lorenzo Cain's now mired in an 0-for-20 slump, now down to exactly 300. Jason Vargas out for one to two more starts. I'm still not sold on Bruce Chin making a couple more starts. Nettios making head-scratching decisions again. I mean, we could go on and on here, guys. It's a 500 team. This is not a bad team. But it's just not a good team. That's the problem. I mean, the Royals have outscored their opponents by three runs. They can't drive the baseball. Hitting it to the warning track is a success for the Royals. And when they aren't just at the top of their game with their starting pitching and, and great defensively, they can't win games. Let's talk about tonight now. Two big defensive mistakes that cost the Royals two runs. Only one of them was an official unearned run, the Escobar play. 
early in the game, but the Lorenzo Cain play, I mean, yeah, it wasn't a routine play, but he's got to make the catch and hit his glove. He's slowed up on it. That's a, that's an out. If the Rails catch that, they probably win the game tonight. Probably. The whole game could have changed. I'm one that always says that, but there's a good chance they would have won. So that's two runs. The defense cost you. Mike Moustakis, two runs, as we mentioned. Ned Rios, two runs. We'll talk about that. Error number one. Let's go through these in order here. Error number one was on Alcides Escobar, his eighth of the year, after a recent mind-blowingly mental meltdown that he had on a botched double play that really cost the Royals a game right before the All-Star break. Another reason they're a 500 team, you can't be making mental mistakes and blowing games when you've got a small margin for error when you can't drive the ball, the ballpark, or in the gaps. Cost James Shields an unearned run in the second, another 10 or 15 pitches. Perhaps another inning out of Shields. Easily could have gotten seven innings out of him had he made that play and had Kane made that catch. You probably have him down under 100 at that point. But other bad defensive plays we mentioned, bottom of the six, allowing a ball that Kane normally runs down to hit off his glove for a ground road double for Steven Drew, and that eventually gave the Red Sox the extra out they needed. It brought Ned Yost out to yank James Shields in favor of Scott Downs, who served up the two-run homer. But let's recap here. So the Royals are up 4-3, to three, runner at second, two outs, even with the error. And you've got Jackie Bradley Jr. coming up, who's 0-2 against James Shields. Now, Shields is at 112 pitches. So you know what? I'm not going to berate Ned Yost for taking him out. In fairness to Ned Yost, Dayton Moore is, has told him that Scott Downs is his lefty specialist. Okay? So... Scott Downs has not been good this year, but against lefties, he has been good. It, it, what was his career average coming into this year? It was 224 against, or sorry, 219 against lefties, now 224. So, you know, he's been decent against lefties since the Royals got him, but we know he's awful against right handers. So, predictably, Boston and Farrell pinch hit for Johnny Gomes, who I'm sure Dayton Moore is itching at the bit even more to get now after he went deep off of Downs. But, I mean, so I'm going to give Ned Yost the benefit of the doubt. On the pinch hitting. I think everyone in the ballpark probably knew they were going to pinch hit. But you know what? Dayton Moore gave him this team. And, th- and he's told probably to use the bullpen in a certain way. And, and a lot of managers would have done the same thing there. In the past, Ned Yost has always let James Shields or Guthrie or Vargas finish that inning. And a lot of people criticize him for that because it blows up in his face. So you've got to be fair to Ned Yost there. A lot of us have called him out for leaving and starting pitchers too long. And at 112, you could easily say had he let... James Shields faced Jackie Bradley Jr. It was too long. And there's no, there's no guarantee Jackie Bradley Jr. would have made out either. But when they do pinch hit, uh, Johnny Gomes, you, you first base open, you got a runner at second with two outs. You cannot allow Scott Downs to pitch to Johnny Gomes in the game situation, which that was. That's a high-leverage situation. That can't happen. Downs can't get right, you know, righties out. Bam, home run. The problem was you had another lefty on deck next. He had Holt, a.k.a. the Chris Getz lookalike, on deck next. The lefty, first base open, two outs. Holt's not going to hit the ball in the ballpark. Put Gomes on. If you're going to take him out, you don't pitch to him there. You know what? I'm even fine had Ned Yost pulled out shields for Kelvin Herrera. I mean, I'm just saying I'm not totally against pulling Shields out because we do criticize Ned sometimes for leaving in starters too long. we got to be fair here. But good grief. Horrible decision. And as I mentioned earlier, 2003 and 2004, I mean, this season has a lot in common to 03 and 04. The 04 as far as having false expectations and a false sense of security based on the previous year, which the Royals were a lot less lucky last year. Last year was obviously a lot more real than 2003. That's, that's for sure. But 
I mean, how many things are similar? Back in 2003, what did the Royals do? They always seem to pick up has-beens. And no offense to some of these guys they picked up, but you go out and get Scott Downs, which is the same thing as getting Graham Lloyd back in 2003 to be your lefty specialist. Disaster. You go out and get Raul Abanez, which is the same thing as getting Rondell White. Now, at least Rondell White had some something left in him at that point. Not a lot, but I mean, that's a similar move. you got you know, veteran guys coming in left and right. You're signing Saunders as AAA insurance as your best option to come up and probably, I imagine they'd go to him over John Lamb as far as the next spot starter after Bruce Chen. Then you made the made the trade for Frazier. Now he's solid, but it's kind of like getting Curtis Leskanik. I mean, there's so many things similar to 03. Both teams aren't playoff teams. Both teams are going to the scrap heap and picking up 36, 38, 42-year-olds. It's frustrating, guys. But besides Nettie Oz, we mentioned Mike Moustakis two different times. First and third, one out in the fourth. He grounds into a fielder's choice with Salvi on third. Can't get the run in there. After the Royals had a couple home, you had to get more runs there. And Billy Butler also didn't get the run in ahead of that, but we already talked about him earlier. Third base in the eighth, Alex Gordon gets a base knock. Great at bat. Seven-pitch at bat. Goes to second on a wild throw. Billy Butler, a nice A-B. A line drive down the right field line moves him over to third. Good situational hitting there by Billy. Unacceptable. Once again, Mike Mustak is 2-0 count. It's a routine ground ball to second base. Gets fooled. How many times do we see Royals hitters get fooled when they're ahead 2-0 or 3-1 or 3-0 this year? Mike Mustak is now hitting 189, 60% of the way through the season with a 625 OPS. Career now at 1,615 at bats. He's a 236 hitter with a 673 OPS. 16 over 1,600 at bats. Do you realize there's literally been thousands of players who have played at the major league level who people call 4A players who never even got 165 at-bats, let alone 1,615 at-bats? If, if Mike Moustakis didn't have a cool nickname, would fans be booing him right now? I think so. He's got a nickname. If his name was Dan Johnson and people couldn't chant his name, what would people think of him? 1,600 at-bats over that. How many guys in 4A that could have come up as replacement-level players and hit 230 for their career, which is Moose is doing, I guess, actually, <laughs> so, but that's my point, or a guy even slightly better than that at 250? How many of those guys would kill for 500 at-bats, let alone 1,600? And, and Moose, is, you know he's got at least another 500 in him with the Royals, minimum. They're right into 2,000 to 2,500 at-bats. The team just isn't very good, guys, so let's just leave it at that. They're, they're not bad. They're just not good. But if you're expecting playoffs, as, as we should, we should be expecting playoffs. It's going to be a long second half if you're going to have that in your mind. And the problem with this year is it's not like previous years when the Royals are out of it and you can look at a guy in his first or second year or you look down at AAA and you've got guys knocking at the door. I mean, there's some nice players in Omaha right now. Jason Adam could be a nice, useful bullpen, or I still think he's a four or five starter at the major league level. He got moved up recently. Whit Merrifield's probably a big league utility guy, maybe as a chance, maybe to be. I mean, if Nori Aoki can play every day or Mike Moustakis, I mean, <laughs> Whit Merrifield's got a chance, doesn't he? I mean, Francisco Pena's mashing the ball, but where is he going to play? You got Salvador Perez, and he's apparently not a good catch and throw guy, and got good enough for the Royals. You would think a Pena of all people would be a great catch and throw guy, wouldn't you? But, I mean, you look down, there's just, I mean, there's not a lot. John Lamb, yeah, velocity is starting to come back. The numbers are getting better. But, yeah, he's a solid prospect. He's not a good prospect at this point. 
You look down to Double A. There's there's some pretty intriguing guys there, but they're about a year and a half away. I think Hunter Dozier is a year and a half away. Chesler Cuthbert's probably not going to make it. The more I see him play, the more I hear about him. The reports aren't good there. Calixte, after starting hot after the visa issues, has been a disappointment this year. Bonifacio has had a rough year, although I do think he'll get better. I hear good reports on him. I mean, you just it's not like the Royals are playing a whole bunch of super young guys and have a whole bunch of super young guys coming up in August and September. That's just pretty much what we have is what we what we're playing is what we are. And that's a 500 team, and it's these same guys, or maybe a few more 45-year-olds I can find on the scrap heap. So tomorrow it's Danny Duffy against De La Rosa, not to be confused with Jorge De La Rosa, who's 2-2 two and two with a 2.89 ERA, 24-year-old right-hander, almost a K per inning, very good starter. Duffy is too. Both Boston and the Royals are inept offensively, so we'll see what happens tomorrow. I imagine the Royals will probably win. I would take them 55-45 to 45 in the odds, but I would take Boston 60-40 on Sunday because the Royals can't seem to hit John Lester ever against Rodano Ventura. Now, it's not the same Lester as years past, but he's still damn good. Again, Ventura is too, but again, the Royals don't score runs, and they don't hit John Lester. So I would say it's pretty likely the Royals split the next two. I give them 55% chance tomorrow and a 40% on Sunday. So I'd say they'll split. They'll leave town a game over 500, probably be right about where they are now, if not lower in run differential. So, in summary, as I always say, 500 teams are as 500 teams do. Have a good night.